We are very excited to announce we're hosting our first Meetup in the Left Field 2022 on October 21st in Columbus, Ohio. We have Zoomed together for two years, and it is beyond time to meet face-to-face. The primary purpose of this meeting will be to meet your fellow left fielders, as well as to meet and interact with some of our community's favorite sponsors and professionals. The plan is to host a special infielder event Thursday night, October 20th, which will include appetizers, drinks, and the opportunity to connect with your Zoom friends. That will be followed by a full day of networking and meetings on Friday, October 21st. The cost to attend the event is $250. Members of the infield community will get a $100 discount and a free month of membership if they sign up before September 15th. We hope to see you soon in the left field. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Started talking to as many people as I could in the hospital, different doctors, different people I knew that seemed to actually have it together. They seemed to live a pretty good life. They seemed to be pretty happy. They had a good balance of family life and medicine and that sort of thing. And it turned out that the vast majority of them were investing in real estate. Hey, left fielders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by Tribe Vest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. Hi, I'm Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field. I'm really excited today to have Peter Kim with us. He's an anesthesiologist working in Los Angeles. He is also the founder of the Passive Income MD Community, a group dedicated to helping physicians achieve financial freedom through multiple streams of income. Peter is also the host of the Passive MD Podcast. Peter, Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Oh, it's an honor to be here. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, thanks for coming on. And the first question I always ask, just to kind of hear your journey. I know you're an anesthesiologist, you're a medical professional. How did you get into the passive investing world? Kind of how you got to med school and then what happened after that, I guess, that kind of took you on this other path to find multiple income streams. Yeah, okay. I mean, life is really funny. I had really no intention of ever investing in real estate. That's not how I grew up. My father was a doctor and that's kind of where I I always expected I would land as well. And so that was my goal in life, to become a doctor, live a good life. I felt like I'd be set, again, doing all these amazing things, helping people, but also living a good, both financial life and a family life if I became a doctor. And that's exactly how the path went for, honestly, for years. And it seemed like I was doing everything right. 
I graduated medical school. I graduated my training. And then I became what's called an attending. And attending is basically you finish your training, you start working. And honestly, I thought it was completely set. And I got my dream job right off the bat. And I was like, this life can be going any better. And then what happened about two years into the job, like something's changed, meaning that the terms changed on me in terms of my schedule. And next thing you know, I realized that I was working these pretty crappy shifts, taking other people's nights. My income was affected as a result as well. And I realized that I wasn't in control of my career, of my schedule, my time, my life, my income. And I found myself working like so many different holidays and things like that. I understand that's part of the job to a certain degree, but I thought I would have a little bit more control over my life. And when I look back, I was like, this is not exactly what I planned it to be. And I remember being pretty upset about it because it was like a big realization. You think you get there, you think you're set, and all of a sudden the terms change. And I wasn't sure what to do at that point. And so I started talking to as many people as I could in the hospital, different doctors, different people I knew that seemed to actually have it together. They seemed to live a pretty good life. They seemed to be pretty happy. They had a good balance of family life and medicine and that sort of thing. And it turned out that I noticed a pattern. I noticed that so many of them, if not all of them, had figured out a way to create some sort of income stream outside of medicine. This wasn't a lot of people. It's just a few of them that I really kind of noticed. And when I talked to them, I said, okay, well, tell me more about that. Like, what exactly are you doing to create that income stream? And then how does it create that freedom for you? And it just turned out that, again, the vast majority of them were investing in real estate. Some of them owned their own properties. Some of them were investing passively through syndications and funds. And so I just started diving in. I started learning all that I could from them and then started going to places like Bigger Pockets. I started going to local real estate meetups just to really figure out what it was in terms of passive investing, real estate, both active and passive, really, to figure out how that was going to get me where I wanted to be. And so after going to a bunch of these meetings for about months, I decided, look, I can't go to enough more meetings. I can't read enough more books. I just got to start investing. And so I just started investing. And little by little, obviously, I made some mistakes, I'd say. But little by little, that cash flow started to come in. And it started to make a difference. Next thing you know, I was able to essentially buy my time back, meaning that maybe I had to do a certain shift on a weekend. But I found myself, I felt like I had that amount of money come in passively. And so I was able to give up that shift to somebody else. And they were able to take that shift. And instead, that income I still got from outside sources. And then that was like a taste of freedom that I first got. I remember thinking, this is crazy. Like, this is amazing. I get to stay home this weekend. I get to hang out with my wife get to do what I want to do. But that income, I don't take a hit on the income side. And so I got like really obsessed at that point. I'm like, okay, this thing is working. So now how can I really get rid of all my nights? And then I kept thinking, okay, how about I get rid of, or I can actually cover my whole income. And I started just really thinking about different ways to do that. And all along the way, I just started sharing that along with people. And then eventually I started a blog and a podcast and courses and conferences. And that's kind of how my whole story went. And that's how I ended up here today. That's great. That's a super interesting story. And it's funny how it just accelerates, right? I mean, I had a little investment club where I was going to have dinner with 12 people to talk passive investing. And now we have a group of 1200. So it's amazing how unintentionally these things start. But I want to go back a little bit. When you did your research and you dug around and you talked to colleagues and you found other people that were seemingly more successful because they had this extra income streams, what were your first investments? Because you said you kind of tried a little bit of everything or at least you read a lot of books and win a lot of meetings. So were you first active? Did you go like single family route and then find passive? Or how's that journey in the real estate part of this? One of the friends that I actually talked to referred me to a friend of his who was a commercial broker. And he said, this guy knows a lot about different types of investments, 
whether it's multifamily, whether it's industrial. And I never heard of these things before, especially industrial. I didn't even know what multifamily was. Except somebody had to explain to me it was apartments. And then things like that. And his friend talked to me and invited me to like a real estate investor meeting by, I think it was like Marcus and Milchap, some big sort of big commercial real estate investor meeting. And I happened to have that day off and I said, sure, I'll tag along. And then while I was there, they were talking about this new type of investing called crowdfunding and where you can invest for smaller amounts and you would kind of put your funds together with other people and then you could invest in these deals for a small amount. So that made me feel comfortable. I was like, okay, you know what? If I invested a small amount that I could afford to lose, maybe I'd get some education out of it. It would help me move forward. But again, I wouldn't feel like I couldn't put food on the table for us or make a big leap. And I'll be honest with you, I was really scared. I mean, it's like, I don't want to lose money. I've never done this before. And so the idea of putting down a small amount was just attractive to me. So my very first investment was a $5,000 investment into a crowdfunding deal. In that situation, it was a debt deal where we acted as like a bank and we lent money out to a fix and flipper for a set interest amount for a set term as a year. And I think at that time when I was doing it, the interest rate was like, or at least the rate they were offering was about 13%. And I remember thinking, that's pretty sweet. If I put $5,000 and every month I get paid some interest according to 13% and I get my capital back at the end, that'd be awesome. And so that's exactly what I did. And that was my very first investment. And after the first month where I got that first check or that deposit into my account, again, I kind of like was uh, off to the races after that point. Yeah. And you know, that first check, clearly, I mean, you might've taken your family out for ice cream or something, but that wasn't like life-changing money, right? But it opened up the doors and told you what's possible or showed you what's possible. So what was next after the crowdfunding? When did the snowball really start to roll down the hill? Yeah, I think you got it exactly. I think it was like $47, to be honest <laughs> with you. And I remember thinking like, I remember I showed my wife and I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And like, I'm a doctor and I'm like, $47 probably doesn't do very much for my income in terms of debt. But I was like, this is what's possible. And I could see the bigger picture. It's like a multiplication kind of thing where I like, okay, well, I invested 5000 now. How much could I invest to get how much? And so what I did next was I actually invested in a syndication deal next. I heard about things called syndications where you can invest in these deals. And I found this one deal online, again, on another crowdfunding platform, which was like two, three miles from my house. And I was like, okay, I can see this one. Yeah. I can drive by it. I can go to it. And that would give me that comfort to invest $25,000, which was the minimum. So that's what I did next. I invested $25,000 into that syndication deal. Had no idea what I was doing. Had no idea what I was looking at. But again, I knew I needed to do something. And then quickly after that, I started buying my own properties. And it was a small single family home in Indianapolis is what I did. Started doing some cash flow, And then that's really, it just started rolling because again, all the capital that I started bringing in, like before I would try to figure out, oh, where do I save this? Where do I put this in the stock market? Or do I have to put this all towards my retirement account? Whatever it was. But I started saying, okay, all of this cash and this capital that I'm saving to put in investments, how can I funnel this into real estate investments? And so next thing you know, I started investing in more syndication deals. And it's almost like I couldn't find enough capital to invest, but everything I did, I started tossing it in there. And to be honest with you, that first year, it's not like that first year, it created huge waves. Like, again, it takes time for a lot, especially these syndications, for the cash flow to come in, especially when you're buying your own property, you're fixing up the property, and it's not like you have a lot of extra income. But I'd say after about, about a year is when I start to notice year and a half, maybe in that range, where I started to know the cash flow started to come in. And it felt like things had stabilized a little bit. Things were under control. And then again, I really saw that trajectory of where I was like, okay, this is possible. It's just a matter of time and putting more money in whenever I would create it. And so that's when things started to really make a difference for me. And then of course, I would say it took about two to three years where I was able to essentially buy my first night back. 
Oh, and again, wow. when I tell, tell about that story, first night back, because again, I make pretty good income in terms of as a doctor and those night shifts are pretty lucrative and it can be. But that first night I was able to buy back again, I was off to the races after that. Yeah. And I think that's how it goes because it really seems it is a snowball that rolls downhill because those first ones, you send someone a wire for $25,000, totally paranoid about it. And then after six months, nothing. And then you get your first check and it's $166.67, right? Or whatever it is. And you're like, okay, that's a little bit, but then it just keeps rolling. And the more you invest, the more bigger your snowball gets. So that's awesome. And it's kind of interesting too, because it seems like most people start with the single family homes where you started with the syndication and then went to the turnkey approach. So what are you investing in now? Are you doing mostly syndications? Or are you still doing some of the more active stuff like turnkeys or single family homes or anything like that? Well, I've moved away from the single family home just because of time and capital and leverage and that sort of thing. I find that, again, it's, I found it's pretty much the same amount of work buying a single family home and managing it than actually having like an apartment building actually. And especially as you get scale and you get more units under your belt, you can actually hire more professional management because it's worth it for them at that point. And honestly, your job becomes easier. So I found that I've kept to some of the larger apartment buildings, but I also did buy a short-term rental recently because I wanted to try that out. I wanted to see what it was like and it kind of served a dual purpose as like almost a vacation home for me, but also I wanted to learn about short-term rentals, Airbnb. And honestly, that's a little cash. I tell people it's a little cash flow beast for me at this point. It's nice. It is something that is worth my time, I'd say at this point. But to be honest with you, I like to keep my active portfolio, meaning that the ones that I own in a small little box. Like this is the amount of time that I'm willing to put towards it because Ultimately, after that, then it becomes to feel like a job. And that's really never why I want to invest because I want to find another job. I have a good job as a doctor. But this is the amount of time that I'm willing to put towards my active portfolio. And then the rest really goes towards passive investments. I mean, it goes towards different syndications, funds. As you might know, I put together some deals as well too. But that's the time I'm willing to gather to put towards that. And recently, so for example, last year, I had a 20-unit apartment building in the Northwest that had potential for a lot of cash flow. I don't know what it was. It was like a bad juju on it, whatever it was, bad karma or something. But that property just kept having issues after issues. It, half of the units caught on fire. There was an environmental issue on it that was unresolved, some domestic disputes. And just constantly one thing after another. And I just realized it's really not worth my time. And so that one, I sold that whole thing completely, funneled that money, and I split that money between a short-term rental and then really on passive. And I couldn't be happier for it. Yeah, I'm the same. I've gotten rid of most of the stuff. I like how you put it in a box so it, you have a finite amount of time you do on the active stuff. I kind of went in a similar way, but I just threw away the whole box. I don't want to do anything <laughs> where I'm the asset manager because I would prefer to pay people who are much better at it than I am to manage assets. So I went completely passive. But I want to talk about your next step, right? That you started a community. And I think that started by just writing a blog and you're going to share information with people. So can you talk about why you started a community and how you did it? I mean, it's probably much like yourself. You just wanted to get people together. You wanted to help people, educate people, and maybe just share what you were learning. And that's kind of how it was for me. I mean, when I first started trying to learn about real estate investing, actually, like you said, the first thing I did was I got together 10 people. It was 10 of us we started meeting for dinner once a month just to talk about it. And I was the most green there. I mean, I knew probably the least amount, but I figured just learning from each other and we could all kind of share our experiences and our journey and mistakes and that sort of thing, we'd all get better. And so it started there, but then I think people found it difficult to meet all the time. And then I started sharing with other people and then they were like, you know what, can you put this online so I can read about it? <laughs> and I'd never done such a thing. I'd never written before, never even considered myself a writer. 
But after sitting on that idea for a while, I realized nobody else is doing this. Well, I felt like no one else was doing this in the physician space. And so I just decided to just put it up. And I honestly, I did it anonymous because I didn't really want to share my name. I just wanted to share the information. And so I did anonymously. I didn't know what my what work would think about it and that sort of thing. So I created this, I bought this domain, Passive Income MD, started putting up articles or things that I was learning and started even sharing some of my numbers and things like that. And it just started to grow. People rallied around it. I think that there was this whole group of community of people, especially doctors, who felt like they wanted to practice on their own terms. They loved what they did, meaning the practicing medicine, but they just didn't want to do it under the control of somebody or they wanted to do it how they wanted to do it. And so that somehow resonated with people and started growing and growing. And next thing you know, I f- actually was felt compelled to actually let people know who I am because I wanted to get together. And the next thing you know, I started just creating communities of people, both online, through Facebook groups. I started actually getting together in person, obviously before things shut down, but getting together in person with people and started having meetups. And next thing you know, I started a conference just to get people together on a national scale and started creating a podcast. So it's funny because it was never really my intention to grow a brand like this. I had no experience in doing so, but it was really just uh, grew out of me just wanting to share with people. And then ultimately, I think that people accelerate so much when they kind of get together with other like-minded people and then share information. Like, I don't know, you go, you've probably been to a lot of real estate conferences, but when you go to a real estate conference, it might just be like one or two conversations you have there, which make the whole conference worth it. It's probably I get more out of it just talking to people in the hallway or outside in the lobby, whatever it is, than I do sometimes inside the room. And so that's the kind of experience that I want to recreate when I created my conference. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy. Not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place. So you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five now six of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at tribevest.com. One of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, is currently accepting accredited investors into their Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2. Why should you invest in multifamily now? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's turmoil around the world, and we are in a very high inflationary environment. Naturally, that's a lot to digest, and it's on a lot of people's minds as to what this means for multifamily or how to interpret this kind of data and reasons to consider when deciding to invest. Ashcroft Capital has compiled a white paper of five reasons to consider investing in multifamily in 2022. To read it and to learn more about investing in multifamily real estate with Ashcroft's AVAF2, visit ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. You nailed it there because we have a forum in our community and people talk. One of the topics was, what do you do when you go to a conference? Like, what's the best way to attack a conference? And what you just said is exactly what some of the more experienced people said is, skip the presentations and hang out in the hallway, right? Because that's where the real connections happen. And so 
I feel like we're following your path, but we're just maybe a couple years behind you because we're just getting ready to have our first meetup here in October. And one of the things we tried to do if for our first in-person meeting is we don't want people in the hallway, right? We want people to go to the presentations, but we also decided we're going to make a bunch of the meeting the hallway. So we're going to have networking constantly, and we're going to try to make it so the sh- presentations are short, but the networking is long. So we'll see how that goes. But it's just interesting to me that we are kind of on the same path, nothing intentional, and all of a sudden you have this community. I mean, I think there's such a need for it. And I'll tell you, like, for everyone that wants to start a new community, like, I'm all in support of it because I realize that everyone has their own networks. Everyone has their own kind of way of doing things. People resonate with certain different people, whatever it might be. And I just think more communities like this are necessary to really spread the word. Yeah. And I love that abundance mindset. And that was completely visible when we met a few months ago and you were giving me all kinds of tips and tricks on how to really help my community and make it grow. And you didn't see us as a competitor. And I love that the way of thought, because there's plenty of people and plenty of communities that can absorb the number of people that are getting interested into this. So what are some of the benefits of an investment community? I mean, you mentioned some of them accelerating your learning, but what do your community members get out of being in that community? Yeah, I think the major thing is it's all about sharing, sharing information, sharing resources. Sometimes you're able to leverage the overall, I'd say, capital of the group to try to get better terms, better deals, better transparency, better accountability, whatever it might be. And then, of course, sharing from people's mistakes. So really, that's just really what it is. Again, people are come from different experiences, people have different connections. And for everyone to bring that into the pot, I feel like it only makes people stronger. And then, of course, like sometimes what we do is we look at a deal as collectively as a group, not to have everybody invest in it or everyone not invest in it, just to explore and just to kind of say, hey, what do you see? What do you see that I don't see? These kind of things. And some people have local knowledge of that area, so they might be able to tell you, well, actually, they say it's this, but it's not this. There's so many different perspectives in the pot to really give you a full picture of a deal. Because again, a lot of times we only see what they tell us (laughs) on these offering memorandums and everything looks amazing. Everything looks great and everything looks like a great deal. But then what if somebody else has some local knowledge and maybe somebody has some perspective, they work with them before or they've heard other things. And so I just feel like we got smarter together is what I really think. Everyone gets smarter together. And I absolutely love when people get together to share that information. And to be honest with you, even after we've looked at a deal, there might be some people that decide and say like, this would be perfect for me. And other people say, no, no, for this reason, it's not perfect for me. And that's fine. But I think ultimately, I think if everyone gets a better like optics on it and understands it better, then ultimately, we're again, we're going to help each other get where we want to be. Yeah. And that's the key, right? You're helping each other. We had an example just today, actually, in our community where a bunch of us invested in one particular deal with an operator and there were some hiccups in the operation and everyone was kind of griping about it. And then one of the community members just said, you know what, I'm going to just call him up and talk to the operator, talk to the operator, got some great information, shared it with all of us. And one of the interesting things the operator said was, hey, look, I know that you're part of left field investors. So I know that when you're talking to me, it's like talking to 20 or 30 people or 1200 people or whatever. And so it also changes the perspective of the operator, right? Because now they know that they're not just talking to one person, but they're talking to a community. And I think that is a powerful thing as well. Absolutely. A group like yours, like they know, yeah, they don't want to piss people off. They know that obviously that they're educated people in that space. They're all going to share information and you want to make people happy. And that might provide a little bit more transparency, again, more accountability for them. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. So I want to talk to a little bit about doctors. And by doctors, I mean, this could be anybody who's high income earners, right? But 
Doctors are a focus of yours, obviously. And I have some doctor friends and they tell me they get approached all the time about investments because people are like, ooh, doctor, you have money. So do you have recommendations for how to handle that? Because you have all these operators coming to you and saying, hey, this is a great investment. And how do you figure out which ones are, which ones aren't, and just go through that process? I know some people see it as more like, hey, I'm getting hit up all the time. And this is not a good thing. It's a nuisance. I actually love it because I feel like the opportunities are coming to me and opportunities to coming to our community. I see it as a good thing. I mean, you have to obviously dig through it, but I'd say the opposite is worse where you just can't find any deals. So I'd rather have more deals come across my plate, but I want to make sure that I have a system and everyone has a system for quickly filtering through these and making sure that they can say yay or nay. And so I think the key in our community has been really obviously spending time on how to do the proper due diligence. And we try to create like, I'd say almost like a roadmap just to really break it down into a system so that it's easy to say yes or no and move on. And the, honestly, the quickest thing we want people to get to is a place to say no, like why shouldn't they do it? And if they can't find that, then that's great. But the moment you get that no, then you know you can shove that thing aside and move on. And I know that people come to us and if you're not armed with the knowledge, you don't have the community, yes, you can get taken advantage of, you can end up in bad deals. So that's why our communities like yours, like ours actually exist to not only help people find good deals, but I think actually probably the more important thing is to help people avoid bad situations, bad deals. Because as we all know, losing money hurts a lot more than making money. And then when you've lost, you've lost 50%, you've got to gain another 100% to get back to where you were. And so obviously losing money, Warren Buffett's rule, right? Never lose money type thing. And so I think that's where the power of the community also helps. And so that's what we focus on. We really focus on what are the key red flags that you have to look out for? How do you quickly find those things out? And then, of course, like how do you get to eventually to a yes? But again, you're going to filter through a whole bunch of deals, and that's going to be the rest of your life if you are in this community. And I think that's not a bad thing. And that gives you an opportunity to look at the whole scope and then figure out what's good for you. Ultimately, I think my goal anyways is to filter all that to maybe my 10 sponsors that are my go-to sponsors that I will look at deals again and again. For someone else to come in from that outside to try to get into my top 10, it's going to take a lot of energy and effort, but really focus on those top 10 because I think that's plenty of deal flow. I don't have to do the due diligence on the actual operators or sponsors. And it's just me, matter of me looking at their deal really quickly and saying yes or no. That's a great way to look at it. When you talked about having a system and filter and some red flags to quickly say no, and that really hits home with me because you get so many people and so many deals coming to you that, yeah, it is good. If you can find something to say no to, that allows you to then move on. And if you can't find something to say no to, then you can really dig in and say, okay, am I going to say yes? So can you give us a few of your red flags or a few filters that the initial that might knock someone out into the no group? I think it really comes down to who's operating the deal. And I think you and I both have talked about that. It's like, that's the majority of the deal. Like, do you find the right person who knows what they're doing or the right group? And if they do, then you know that they're going to be able to deliver on their promise. When I'm talking about the promise, I'm talking about the business plan, whatever's on the offering memorandum, that they can actually perform for the property and for you as the investor. And so how do you find out who is good and who isn't good? It really comes down to track record. And so you've got to really spend time digging into the track record. And if that's all you did when you looked at a sponsor, you looked at their track record, understood in full detail, you're actually probably the majority of the way to making a good decision or a bad decision on this. And so for me, one of the biggest red flags is a sponsor and operator that probably isn't fully transparent about their track record. I mean, surprisingly enough, and people don't, they're like, I can't believe that happens, but there have been a couple of operators where I asked for their full track record that weren't willing to give it to me. 
that because they say, well, certain of these things are confidential. This person was involved in our sponsor. I can't really give you all of it and that sort of thing. And they can't give you all the numbers behind it. And I find that strange because if you've done well in the past, whether you've still made some mistakes, I think you'd want to show (laughs) your body of work. And I've actually had that situation. And we've had a few people that were close to us that we thought might be good partners of ours. And then they kind of skittish on their track record. And we kind of said, no, we're not going to do business with you. So that's number one. And then, of course, the challenge is finding good quality sponsors that have a great track record that, again, their minimums are good for you as the investor. Because at a certain point, if they have an amazing track record, oftentimes they actually may not need additional investor capital or like kind of need to expand their network. So how do you find that? And I've also learned at this time, like I don't want people to learn on my dime, right? On my capital. Like we have a choice. We have so many sponsors out there, operators. So why not find somebody who actually has a good level of experience? And now it doesn't hurt to, it's not necessarily a bad thing to take a flyer on somebody you know, but again, I really try to avoid doing that, to be honest with you. I really try to find those that are really, really experienced, have a certain amount of assets under management, and have had a certain number of closed deals, and then also have a good understanding of like how to mitigate risk, and then know how to explain when maybe things haven't gone as well. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So you're talking about, or you have talked about multiple income streams. Right. That's one of your things. And I saw somewhere recently where you said it's not only desired, but it's necessary that high income earners need multiple income streams. Why do people need multiple income streams? And what are some of the types of income streams you would recommend? Yeah, I used to think it was optional, especially in our world. I think as doctors, we kind of naively assume that, like I did, that once you kind of made it, that that's going to be it and you're going to have a great job and it's going to be stable. But I think, if anything, the pandemic has showed us that. Black swan events can happen. Weird things can happen there. I know many physicians that got actually laid off or they had huge hits in income. I did. I was told one day our group said that, hey, we're going to have to drop reimbursements by 30% or you make by 30% over the week. I mean, starting now, basically. And that can be disruptive. And it's crazy to think that you don't have any sort of control over that. I find that with the changing political environment, regulatory environment, I've seen people whose businesses have blown up like immediately because of the change in regulations and things like that. And I find that it's like, again, if you are putting yourself, you have a family, you have other people who depend on you, you have employees, you have all these type of things. I think you actually owe it to them to diversify. And because that to me creates true security at the end of the day. And so I'd say, even if you think you're a high income earner, even if you own your own business and you think you're bulletproof, Things can and will change. That's the one thing we know. Things are unpredictable are going to come along, which is why I absolutely believe you need some sort of diversification. So if one stream happens to dry up for whatever reason, you know you have other places to pull that income from. You don't have to get desperate. You have leverage to make good decisions and things like that. And so, for example, let's just say a doctor like myself, I'm an anesthesiologist. Again, I know so many friends of mine whose groups necessarily have been bought out or taken over by a hospital or reimbursements have dropped, these kind of things. And next thing you know, you have to make a decision over the next week or two, whether you're still going to be working there or not, or whether you got to move. And so having that extra income stream creates some sort of security for you. So what are some of those other ones? I tell people, again, it's up to you, whatever your interest is, how much time you're willing to put into it. And honestly, how much capital you have to invest in that sort of additional income stream. And real estate just obviously happens to be a natural thing. And that's how I started because I saw so many other doctors do it. Because again, when especially when you invest passively, you can take the capital that you make on one side, 
invest in experts on another side, leverage their capital, experience, knowledge, resources, whatever it is, to create more income, create more of those income streams. So real estate is a very obvious one, and I'd say pretty tried and true. The other thing that I encourage people to do, especially if they have some sort of entrepreneurial type spirit, is to start a business. And there are so many different types of businesses to start. There are ones that you can buy. There are ones that you can create based on interest. And I remember talking to so many doctors initially and saying, hey, like, start thinking about creating a business. And I've had so many of them go, I just don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't know how to. I don't know this. And then they hear a story of another doctor who's done it or something similar. And next thing you know, they try. And next thing you know, they create a thriving business. I've seen it. And every spring, I have a virtual summit called the Leverage and Growth Summit, where all I do is interview doctors who have started other businesses to create that income stream. Some of them are practicing medicine. Some of them are not practicing medicine, but it can be anything. Somebody was a pediatrician was super passionate about taking plastics out of their kids' hands and eating off plastic. They're worried about the effects of that because they've done a lot of research on that. And so what she did, for example, was like, what are the other options out there? She realized stainless steel was an option. And so she created this whole stainless steel line for her kids to be able to eat off of. And next thing you know, this thing's gone national. It's now in these national retailers. And she's like, I have no background experience in business. It was just born out of a passion. And one thing you know about doctors and all probably everyone listening to this is that we've all achieved success because we have the ambition, we have the drive, we have the capability to really do anything that we put our focus on. And I absolutely believe that. So why not do something else if you're passionate about it or interested in it to be able to create that security? So that's my whole take on it. No, I think that's great. I think part of the difficulty people have visualizing this happen is because we are all so busy in our day to day and you think, well, I can't do that. I don't have the time. But then once you take the time and do this purposefully and it pays off, then all of a sudden, as you said, you've bought back your time because then maybe you're not going so hard at the W-2 because you don't need to. And I think that's really the purpose of my community, your community, is time freedom, right? And to get time freedom, you need financial freedom. And so to get financial freedom, you need multiple income streams. And that gets you possibly away from your W-2. Well, I'll tell you, if you're interested in it, you'll find the time. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is in life, whether you love golf, <laughs> whether you love watching Netflix, whatever you are passionate about, I promise you, you'll find the time to do it. For me, I mean, I don't know where you find the time, but for me to write the blog, what I would do is like, I think of ideas in my car and then I just started dictating into my program or my app on the car. So I find time for it. I would wake up an hour earlier because I was so excited. I would write something, I would read something and this kind of thing. Just find time for things that are important to you. And I think that Really, you got to figure out what you want and then why you want it. And if it's you're passionate enough about it and it means enough to you, you got to make it happen. Yeah, I think that that's really well said. I want to pivot here a little bit and kind of get in, not into the weeds, but ask a specific question. I'm seeing a lot of operators are converting from single asset operators more to a fund model. And it keeps happening over and over. And I'm wondering, do you have a preference? What do you think about the fund model? And what do you think about single asset syndications? I feel like it's a natural progression, right? For a lot of them, once they become quite successful and they have a track record again of really performing well and getting what they say for their investors, their investors tend to be <laughs> jumping at every opportunity that comes along the way with that one investor. For example, there's a few of sponsors that were doing really, really quite well over the last couple of years. And there was a fight, honestly, a battle every time to get into the next deal. And so when you get to that point, especially as a sponsor and operator, and you know that you have all this capital at your disposal, you have investors, you probably want to do them a service and say, you know what, I want to be able to put your capital to use. And honestly, it's probably more efficient 
if we have that capital already ready to go, it'll probably help us in terms of negotiating deals. It'll help us kind of budget and allocate. And so why not go after multiple assets? Because we have the people that are willing to already invest in those deals. So it's almost like pre-funding a lot of deals. And so I get it. It probably is more efficient for them in some ways. In terms of the capital raising side, they just raise essentially once <laughs> into one vehicle and then are able to deploy that into a bunch of different deals. And obviously there are some fun dynamics that are a little bit different, meaning that they have to set up certain rules for when they can actually stop acquiring and they have to start selling off properties. And usually they have to give themselves more time on a typical deal. It's not going to be your normal three to five year turnaround. Maybe they have to say it's going to be a closer to seven or eight to 10 year. But I find that a lot of sponsors and operators, once they've reached a certain point, a lot of them end up moving in that direction or some of them keep a hybrid. Some of them might do a few deals here, but then also have that fund model. Again, this is something that I've gone through as well personally and thought about it, right? I like actually personally investing in both. <laughs> I have invested in funds and then I've invested in single deals as well because sometimes I like to know what I'm investing in. It's nice to know that that one single property, like that is mine. I've done the due diligence on it. I can look at the property and say, hey, I like that specific property. When you're investing in a fund, a lot of times it's pretty blind unless you're coming to it a little late. Maybe you know what assets are already in there. But what is nice is that if you trust that operator, you trust that sponsor, and you know that they're going to do a good job, a lot of times you're like, look, just I'm willing to give you this much capital. Just do your best with it. I trust you. And you know that you're going to get diversification off the bat too. You're going to know that you're not just investing in one property. So if that one property doesn't do as well, you might be into five, 10, 15 other ones that you know will over time like the balance each other out. And so it gets you that diversification and comfort. But so for me, I will tell you that I don't necessarily allocate a certain amount towards single deals and allocate a certain amount towards funds. I'll say that whatever opportunity is in front of me, I have the capital, I'm ready to go. Whatever seems to be the best at that time, I seem to go for. But I find myself honestly pretty much split. Like if I have to look at kind of where I've allocated it, split between funds and single deals. But I don't think you can go wrong necessarily either way. There's no right or wrong. Just kind of what you're looking for. Yeah, I think so too. And the first funds I was in, or the ones I was comfortable, were the ones that I had first been in a few single asset deals with that operator, and then they went to a fund. And I'm like, oh, okay. The ones that I have a little bit harder time jumping in on are the ones that are already doing a fund, and I didn't get a chance to analyze an individual deal. But like you, there are advantages to funds that you only have to invest once, you have the diversification if one deal goes not pro forma, maybe the other one will exceed it. So there are definitely advantages, as you said. So the last question I usually ask is, what's a great podcast that you listen to and you cannot use Passive Income MD because that's going to be in the show notes anyway. That's your <laughs> podcast. But what's a podcast or two that you like to listen to? Right. Besides the passive investing from left field, right? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. There's a plug for that. But yeah, I mean, I like to listen to podcasts a lot because I'm in my car and commute and that sort of thing. I find that's the best time to educate myself. One of my favorite podcasts is How I Built This. It's by Guy Raz. It's an NPR podcast. And it's just stories. It's stories of entrepreneurs and how they built their businesses. And I love listening to them and honestly noticing the patterns between the different people. It's inspirational, but it's also inspirational not just because they built huge businesses like Slack, Zoom, these kind of things. There's also smaller businesses. But what I've noticed in each of those stories is that most all of them really didn't have like necessarily huge business backgrounds, or they didn't necessarily have it all laid out for them. They all went through failures. They all struggled. They all stumbled. And then they they were persistent and great things happened. And the way that they interview these people, it just creates a story. And again, I think we all really connect to stories. And so I found myself connecting to so many of the entrepreneurs on that podcast. 
It's my favorite to listen to. And I always find some sort of source of inspiration from each episode. That's great. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. And then lastly, if people want to get to know you or connect with you and learn more about your community, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is probably two places. Number one, it's the Passive Income MD website. We're actually going through a website redesign. So hopefully that'll be launching in the next couple of weeks. So www.passiveincomemd.com. Like you mentioned, I do have a podcast, the Passive Income MD podcast. You can look for that wherever podcasts are. And then we have an awesome community that focuses around proper due diligence and creating really confidence in people who want to invest in passive real estate. That's called Passive Real Estate Academy. So www.passiverealestateacademy.com. So those are the best places. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. It's been great being on the podcast with you. Appreciate you coming on and we'll keep in touch for sure. All right. Thanks so much. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. I enjoyed that conversation in, in multiple ways. One, I really appreciate Peter for what he's done for our community. Months ago, I had a conversation with him where he kind of helped us figure some things out as far as how to make the community sustainable and how to improve a lot of things that we're doing at Left Field Investors. And he has his own community. He didn't have to help. He is just abundance mindset. And even after this podcast, he offered more help and consultations because he's a couple years ahead of us. And so learning from him is super helpful. So I just appreciate Peter so much. One of the things he said is when he was working as a doctor, he was making a lot of money, but he was not in control of his time or his income or his life. And that's pretty powerful, right? He felt out of control. He was probably making quite a bit of money as an anesthesiologist, but he wasn't able to be content because he wasn't in control. And having additional income streams, he realized he saw some examples and he saw these other people and he thought, that might give me some more control, control of my time, control of my income, and thus control of my life. And so he did it, right? He was able to buy back his time, as he said, and that's with income streams. So instead of having to work that Saturday night shift, he had enough income where he could say, nope, I'm not working that one. Someone else can have that because he didn't have to because he didn't need the money because he had money from his other income streams. And that's just so powerful. It gives you that freedom and it allows you to do so much more. And he mentioned also the power of community. It accelerates learning, right? You're learning from like-minded people who are sharing information. And again, as we've talked about, like-minded doesn't mean we're all robots thinking the same thing. It means that we are people open to thinking about other ways to build financial freedom and build wealth for our families. And communities accelerate that, right? Because you can learn from other people. Just like I learned from Peter how to manage our community better, when you're inside of the community, you learn from so many different people. I know personally, I am 10 times better at investing now than I was two years ago before we started this community. And that's thanks to all of you in the community. And Peter really hammered that home. And then when he was talking about multiple streams of income, his look on it is that is diversification. That is protection, right? Because if you have multiple streams of income, a lot of them can come from syndications, right? They could be different asset classes, different sponsors. Those are separate income streams. That allows you diversification. So if one goes down, they don't necessarily all go down. If you lose your job, you still may be okay. If another black swan event happens and it doesn't affect all of your income streams simultaneously, you're gonna be okay. And that's what we're working for. We're working for financial freedom, and we're going to be okay. Those are two same and separate things. And Peter had a lot to say about that. That was really interesting. And the final thought I have is just his abundance mindset. And I'm trying to do the same thing. We've had some communities lately, investment communities that have been pretty, uh, I don't know what the right word would be, but they are excluding certain people because they're a sponsor, because they run communities and they're kind of a restricted mindset. And having an abundance mindset 
it's so much easier and more comfortable. And actually, I think it's better. I encourage people, look, be a member of Left Field Investors. I'm biased. I think it's a great group and you can learn a lot. But you know what? Go to Peter's group, Passive Income MD. There's a ton that you can learn there. And then bring that back to left field and share it. In the same way, stuff you learn in left field, go share it with another community, Peter's community or another one. And that's just a rising tide lifts all boats. So I strongly believe in multiple communities. I'm a member of three. Obviously, I think left field is a great one, but Passive Income MD as well, and there's others out there. So I encourage everybody to be involved in whatever community you're in. And even if it's multiple communities, do that as well. Get involved, keep learning, and then share and teach others. That's what we're here to do. And that's what makes Left Field Investors such a great community. And that's what makes Peter and Passive Income MD great community as well. So thank you, Peter. We will keep in touch. And that is it for this time. We'll see you next time in the Left Field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.